Well, we turn over to our uh, our sermon this morning. If you have your bulletin, you'll notice over on uh, the final back page uh, is the outline of our of our message. We're going to be looking at a number of different passages of Scripture. Usually we just focus on one key uh, key passage, but this is a, a subject we're getting into. We really need to draw from a number of different passages to explain and exposit. Uh, and and we'll, we've read one of those passages already, and we'll read the other ones in a few minutes. Um, but before we do that, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll pray as we start. This is part of that series we've been doing for quite a while now. We're calling it Knowing Jesus, Seeking to to Know Christ Better, Who He Is and Who He Is for Us. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, the emotional life of Jesus, the different emotions that Scripture attributes to Jesus in His full humanity and full deity, uh, those emotions of Jesus, and how that's really good news for us uh, as as those uh, He saves and those He works in. Now, we've already looked at the emotions of compassion and anger and uh, this morning we're looking at joy, joy. But let's let's first pray for, for God's word. Lord, thank you for, uh, for the, the privilege of being able to learn from your word, uh, to have that which is true and right and good uh, spoken forth and, and used by your spirit to change us. Lord, show us the glories of your son that we might more and more uh, love him and be transformed into his likeness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so admit it. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Does it spark joy? You heard that one before? Spark joy? Right? You might know where that comes from. Uh, it's a, a phrase used by, by Maria Kondo, who's the very, very famous organizational consultant, this Japanese woman who is now a multimillionaire and uh, and a worldwide uh, celebrity because she teaches people how to organize their closets, which is slightly odd in and of itself. How many other uh, multimillionaire closet organizers do you know of? Um, You could even ask that question. Why, Why would someone like this get famous? Well, I think it's because... Uh, at least in part, of this phrase that she uses, does it spark joy? You know anything about, about her, her shtick? It's, uh, it's basically you, you go through the items in your home, uh, one by one, you pick them up in your hand, and you ask yourself, well, does, does this spark joy? And, and if it does, you keep it, and if it doesn't, you get rid of it. That's her thing. But there's something about that, that phrase that... That, that resonates. Like, we, even if you have no interest in, in having, you know, doing an overhaul of your closet, you can connect with that idea. Like, I, I know that some things in my world spark joy. Uh, just instinctively, you know, the welling up of, of gladness and delight, and, and, and I like that. I, I want more of that, right? We can, we can connect to it. Uh, perhaps that's why uh, she's become so, so popular. Um, okay, well, as we're talking about joy this morning, should, should that be our guide? Uh, asking ourselves, what is it that sparks joy? And, well, we'll hold on to those things and we'll get rid of everything else. Is that, is that our guide? Uh, is there something missing 
if that's the, the only governing principle. Uh, well, let me suggest this, and I think we'll see it coming out of Scripture. The problem isn't with the pursuit of joy. In fact, we could say uh, that joy, according to Scripture, is good. God created us as emotional creatures, and that includes uh, an emotionally connected experience like joy. Uh, in fact, the Bible uses the word joy and rejoice over 400 times. And they're almost all positive, affirming, even commanded, do this, seek this, pursue this, references. So the problem isn't with, uh, with the pursuit of joy. Uh, the big problem tends to be that we look for joy in the wrong places. Uh, either in places that are in and of themselves destructive, so, so it might spark you joy, uh, but you could ask a deeper question. In the process of, of producing joy in me, is it harming someone else? Uh, or is it dishonoring God? Right. So the, the place we look for it could be destructive, dishonoring. The other problem uh, with, uh, with joy tends to be that we settle for too little. Uh, you, might, you might have heard of the, the famous illustration that C.S. Lewis gives on this subject. He talks about uh, a boy, a child, who's, who's in, the, in the streets, in the gutter, and he's making mud pies. And he's offered uh, an entire beach vacation. Uh, but he turns it down uh, because he's he just content with where he is to make mud pies in the, in the slums. Uh, and, and Lewis says... Yeah, that's us. Now, the problem is not that we not that we seek too much joy, but we don't seek it enough. Uh, we're too easily pleased, to use Lewis's language. We settle for too little, uh, and so uh, settling for things that okay, maybe there's a temporary uh, spark, uh, but is it something that lasts? Uh, well, we. We need to talk about joy, but we want to talk about it with connection with Jesus. Because there is, as we've seen, the author and perfecter of our faith. There's the one who teaches us what it's like to be truly human. And we'll see again when we, when we talk about joy and Jesus, that, that how it plays into his life, well, that's exactly what we need, exactly what saves us. So let's talk about uh, what brings Jesus joy. Okay, I guess you could say what sparks joy in Jesus. Well, let's just, what are the different things we see in Scripture that bring joy to Jesus? <clears throat> I want to start in Matthew 11. So we're going to flip through our Bibles a little bit. So if you have your Bible there, and want to flip over to Matthew 11. Uh, we're going to just read a few verses. Um Page 816, if you've got the Pew Bible there, the Black Bible at your feet. A few verses from Matthew 11, 16 to 19. So here is Jesus. He's interacting and talking about uh, those religious leaders who have been attacking him, have been attacking John the Baptist before him. And here's what he says. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, 
a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So a lot going on there, but let me, let's try to simplify it. Basically, Jesus is being attacked. The religious leaders are attacking Jesus, and Jesus summarizes it, it this way. You're just mad uh, because we're not dancing to your tune. Jesus isn't. John the Baptist didn't. We're not playing your game. Uh, here's John the Baptist who came before Jesus. He came with a ministry that was focused on repentance, uh, which involves a, a, an admission and a reckoning with sin, and therefore has this, has this emotional tone of, of sadness, grief over sin. Uh, and, and hence, uh, John the Baptist's ministry had this emotional tone of, of grief and sadness, uh, and, and hence John did fasting as a part of that, and his ministry had that, had that tone to it. But then along comes Jesus, and he seems to indicate that the kind of the emotional tone of his ministry is slightly different. Uh, as, as there's turning from sin, yes, but now the Savior arriving, the kingdom arriving, uh, the seeking and saving of the lost, now there's this tone of, of joy. Uh, and, and hence, Jesus comes, not with fasting and tears like John, but he's, he's eating and drinking as, as sinners come to faith in him. Now, we'll talk about saving uh, rotten sinners in a minute. But for now, just notice that Jesus describes himself as eating and drinking. And eating and drinking in such a way that he could be criticized wrongly, but, but, but could be criticized as, as being a glutton and a drunkard. He wasn't a glutton and a drunkard, but clearly he attends what you might think of as a party, a celebration, a, a, a place of joy, uh, and, and here he is, he's eating and drinking with those who are being saved, and, and that's why he can actually be criticized uh, in this way. So I think it's a helpful observation, since though we're going to go on to say that, that Jesus finds uh, ultimate and truer joys in things that are eternal, it's not to say that there is no role, even in the life of Jesus, for finding enjoyment in the earthly uh, blessings of this creation. You see it in Jesus. He seems to, he seems to, he not only, not only in, partakes in those things, food, drink, friendship, uh, but seems to find joy in it. Uh, and, and thus we see in Jesus, not this kind of cold, aesthetic, uh, you know, just stay away from anything that's earthly, that's, that's corrupting, or, you know, or, or just not important. Uh, no, he seems to connect these created things just as scripture does more generally, as gifts of God. They're not an end in themselves, but they are designed to be enjoyed with thanksgiving as pointing us to the creator who made them. So yes, even in the life of Jesus, there's a place for joy in earthly blessings. But we go on to, to even, even deeper joys in the life of Christ. And this is the next one we get, uh, takes us into Luke 15. So that's the passage we, we read earlier. You're welcome to, to turn there if you want. Uh, Luke 15, over on 874. <clears throat> Here's Jesus telling these three famous stories, parables. They're all about things getting lost and being found. Uh, and it's important to recognize the context, because this is 
This is the point of why Jesus tells the stories. It's because Jesus, verse 1, is being criticized, attacked, uh, because tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to him. And, and the religious leaders are grumbling and complaining. Look, Jesus receives these notoriously wicked people. And Jesus tells these stories in order to describe what's actually happening and why it should be an occasion, not of grumbling, but actually of joy. Okay, so, again, look at the role of joy in these, in these, uh, in these parables. So the first one is a shepherd losing a sheep. He's got a hundred sheep, but one wanders off. What does he do? He goes after that lost sheep. And then, verse 5, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends together and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Then there's the, the woman and the coin. Right? She's got ten. She loses one. Again, a careful, diligent search is made, and she too finds it. In verse 9, what do we read? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So you see, see the role of joy. In both cases, uh, where something is lost, but then it's found, the, the, the automatic response is, that the one who finds it is overjoyed. In fact, calling, even commanding, uh, all his friends and relatives, you have to take, uh, join me in this joy. Uh, you have to celebrate with me. Okay, so we're talking about joy in Jesus. So where, where is Jesus in these stories? If you had to kind of pick out a character in the story that you'd say, ah, th this is supposed to remind me of Jesus, who would it be? Well, wouldn't it be the one who goes seeking for that which is lost? Right? Isn't that how Jesus described his own ministry? That he came, the Son of Man, that he came to seek and to save the lost? He even described himself as the good shepherd who goes after the sheep, right? So Jesus in the story, he's the, he's the shepherd who goes after the sheep. He's the, he's, the, he's the woman who goes looking for the lost coin. So what do we see about Jesus? There's, there's, this, there's this role in his life of absolute joy as that which is lost is now found. Joy in Jesus because that which is lost is now found. And of course, it's not sheep or coins. Uh, it is people made in his very image that he has come to seek uh, and to save. And he says, as the, each parable does, that his joy on earth uh, is, is, to, is matched with the joy in heaven which, by the way, is God the Father. It's not the angels. Listen look carefully. It's not the angels primarily who are described as being joyful. It's the one before the angels. Who's before the angels? God. Uh, God, the Father, is joyful. So Jesus' joy matches the heart of his Father. Uh, joy over those who are lost. Okay. Uh, how does this connect with us? Well, we asked this question a few weeks ago. Uh, maybe we'll revisit it now. How does Jesus feel about you? How does Jesus feel about you? Uh, we asked that a few weeks ago. Let's, let's do it again. So Jesus, Jesus walks through the door. He kind of scans the room, and he kind of locks his eyes on the, on the back of your head. 
what does Jesus feel as he gazes, puts his gaze on you? What, what, what does he feel? How does he feel about you? What's the emotional response in Jesus? Well, we said a couple weeks ago, Scripture teaches us that there would be compassion. Yeah, compassion, warm and tender, to use the uh, language of Hosea. But I think this, these parables teaches us another, uh, another aspect of that. Uh, that he would, he would lock his gaze on you, uh, one who, who's a sinner, lost, and yet if you're a believer, you've been found by him, you've been rescued from sin and death, and so his response in seeing you, joy. Joy. Jesus, not just a spark, but like a, like a firestorm of rejoicing in Jesus. Because the one that was precious to him, that was lost, now is found. That's, that's your Savior. That's your Savior. Joy over the lost being found. But there's more. Now let's go to another passage, John 15. So if you want to turn there, John 15. Here we're over on page 902, if you have the Black Bible. <coughs> 902. And we're going to read verses 9 through 11. And see if you can keep track of what's going on. Jesus is going to compare his relationship with the Father to our relationship with him. Not John 15, 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Okay, let's see if we can kind of tease it out, first by talking about What's the relationship between Jesus and the Father? And then we'll bring in us, uh, us and Jesus later. So what's the relationship between Jesus and the Father? Well, the first thing he says is, the Father loves him. The Father loves him. And Jesus says that he abides in his Father's love. The idea of, of there's, a, there's a mutual clinging uh, there's a there's a father clings to him he clings to the father there's this uh, love and response in love and and a resting in that mutual love and Jesus describes that this this mutual love this abiding in love then flows out into Jesus keeping his father's commandments uh, Jesus keeping his father's commandments so that everything the father calls him to do, it's in this context of love uh, for one another uh, that Jesus does his Father's will at every point. And Jesus refers to that relationship uh, and the, 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 abide, the love that's connected between them and to him doing his Father's will. And then verse 11, he calls it his joy. His joy, right? He's going to say in a minute he wants that to be ours, but, but first it's his. His joy, which he connects with this loving relationship he has with the Father and doing his Father's will. Can, can you connect to that in any way? 
maybe even just a, in a human relationship, uh, a human relationship where there's this, there's this bond of love. There's someone in your life, and you know that they love you. You just you're sure of it. You're confident of it, and and you love them too. And there's a there's an enjoyment of that love, and and then uh, flowing out of that, you're just you're just thrilled to be able to serve that person. Not because you're trying to earn their love, but because it's just it's a delight. It gives you joy to serve them. Have you ever had a relationship like that or, or seen that, even in small ways? Um, when I was working on this, it, my memory flashed back to when I was a kid. Oh, I don't know how old I was, maybe seven, eight, something like that. We were, we were at uh, my grandparents' house, and they were, they were hosting a barbecue in their backyard, and, and uh, the, whole, the whole extended family had come over, had come over and, and there was my grandfather at the grill, and you know, he was cooking up a storm and trying to feed the whole gang. And, and I was right there, right there with him. And he would, he would ask me to do things, right, to help out. You know, go, go talk to grandma, get, get the cheese for the burgers, or we need more rolls, go there in the kitchen. And he'd tell me to do things, and I'd go do them. And, and I, I look back on that time, and it was like one of the best memories of my childhood. It was fantastic. It's still, even just thinking about it this week, brought me such a, a delight, such a joy. And what was I basically doing? I was doing what he told me to do. But it wasn't, it wasn't this cold thing. Uh, it was actually, it was, it, was, it was delightful. It was joyful. And it had something to do, I have to say, with knowing how much he loved me and how much I loved him and loved being with him and, and thus to, to, to help out, to do something that, that was a, a, a blessing. Like, it, that was a delight. That was a joy. That maybe is just a little hint of what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, what he's talking about with his relationship with his with his father, now that he's in this relationship where there's a deep bond of love and, and the son is abiding in the father's love. And part of how that flows out is he's doing his father's will and he calls it his joy to do it. And then he says that he wants that joy to be ours. Right? That depth of joy, he says, I want it to be yours. You look at the language of verse 11, so that your joy is full. Full. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus wants you to have fullness of joy, not just, not just a little bit, uh, but fullness as in somehow connected to his joy and the joy he has in the Father. And of course, he's laying out the path here as well. What, what would that path to joy look like? Well, it's, it's connected to, uh, to his relationship with the Father, that we have this analogous uh, side to it, that as, as God's children, not that we earn God's love, but we're actually already recipients of it as God's, God's rescued, saved, beloved children, and as objects of his love, we, we, like me with my grandfather, just delight in being near him and, and, and experiencing that love, and part of the way we, we experience it is is is. We do what the Father tells us, and it brings us joy. All right? even, even Jesus says fullness uh, of joy. So, what brings joy to Jesus? We've said earthly blessings, yes. Uh, the lost being found, absolutely. His Father's love and doing his Father's will. 
One more aspect of, of Jesus' joy that we could touch on and should. We, we could go to others, but let's look at Hebrews 12. So turn there. Hebrews chapter 12. If you have the, the Pew Bible there, the Black Bible, page 1008. 1008. We've actually been referring to this uh, quite a bit in our in our little series, um, but we want to notice something we haven't really been able to touch on: the, the role of joy. Okay, so let's read verses one and two of Hebrews twelve. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. <laughs> Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Hebrews tells us about the joy of Jesus. But it's joy in a very interesting context. It's in the context of the suffering of the cross. Which, if we think about Jesus going to the cross, we, we have to conclude that that was uh, the, the most intense point of suffering in the history of the world. Right? Not only did Jesus experience the, the physical torments of the cross, but, but we, we know from Scripture that he was bearing the very wrath of God that we deserve, all of God's people deserve, for their sins, so the very wrath of hell itself, he's experiencing it there on the cross. So you have to say, this was, this was the point of most intense suffering uh, in the history of the world. And Jesus uh, is not emotionally numb to that suffering. We're going to, uh, Lord willing, look next week a little bit at the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll see his intense grief as he ponders uh, the cross. Even here in our passage, we re read that Jesus despises the shame of the cross. Uh, that, that's, that's part of why the Romans crucified people was shame. Right? It wasn't just to execute them. You could do that in lots of ways. But crucifixion uh, humiliated and shamed the victim. And, and that, uh, not only from a human perspective, that's part of what Christ was bearing at the cross. He was bearing the shame of our sin. Right? That's part of the ugliness of our sin. Uh, is it's an offense against God, and it's also it's also shameful. But Jesus takes that, and he bears it there at the cross. Um, so Jesus isn't emotionally numb as he goes to the cross. There's this excruciating grief. There's this loathing of the shame of the cross. So, okay, well, where's, where's the joy, Jesus? Right? Aren't we supposed to count it all joy? Where's your joy here, Jesus? Uh, and Hebrews tells us there is absolutely joy in the context of the cross. But it's not joy in the suffering per se. Um, right? It's not Jesus saying, oh, this is going to be fabulous. Suffering is great. Shame is wonderful. Bring it on. Not at all. Right? We're told excruciating grief, intense, uh, right, despising uh, of, uh, of that itself. Where is the joy of Jesus when the context of the cross? Well, Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endorsed the cross. 
In other words, it's the, it's the joy that comes through and beyond the cross. Uh, it's what the cross accomplishes and where God takes him through it. Uh, we know uh, that Jesus himself knew it. Uh, that the Father promised he would, he, that Jesus would go to the lowest place, uh, go to the cross and, and bear this guilt and shame, but then he would be raised up to the highest place. That he would be given the name above all names. That the exalted, conquering Messiah would be, would be given all authority in heaven and on earth. That he'd be given the nations as his inheritance. Uh, and, and there, Jesus, uh, as, as he's going to the cross, he, he, he sees that joy that he will have connected with all those blessings. Uh, and, it's, and it's looking to that joy uh, that, that allows him to endure, that pushes him through. Uh, in fact, it's actually, uh, it's that exalted glory of Christ uh, that, that then enables Jesus or brings Jesus into that portion of his ministry where he does all the things that bring him most joy. So we said that Jesus gets, all, he gets really joyful about seeking and saving the lost. Well, what portion of Jesus' ministry does he seek and save the most lost people? It's actually not his earthly ministry, though part of it. Uh, it's, it's his ministry uh, on the other side of the cross. Uh, as, he, as, he, as he pours out the Spirit on the church, Jesus, through the work of his Spirit and through the work of his people, is seeking and saving the lost like us. So it's on the other side of the cross that Jesus has this joy of seeing sinners sought and saved. Uh, and then it's through that work of that same Spirit that Jesus changes his children uh, more and more into his likeness so they know the Father's love more and they do the Father's love more so he gets to share his joy with them in that, right? So it's on the other side of the cross that there's there's the, the most joy uh, that Jesus has and so it's him looking ahead uh, that has him, has him thinking and then motivated by the joy that is yet to come. Uh, his joy had this future orientation. Uh, and that's that's actually a big deal um, because that's that's the really the very heart of, of, of Christian joy that it has this future orientation um, it, it's really where where our joy comes in um, yes there are things in and of this present world that that bring joy to us but it's never the fullness right there it's always tainted by sin it's always tainted by fallenness uh, maybe you, right now, where you're at, really feel that. Uh, and, and, and the idea of joy just seems, well, it seems almost impossible, maybe even ridiculous, because you kind of look around your world and you say, this is an absolute mess. All the evil, all the brokenness, all the ugliness, how could I be joyful in the midst of this? And the truth is, you're on to something that's true. Because if it's just present, then there's not enough to sustain joy that lasts. But Jesus, Jesus blazes the trail for us. He sets the path. Real, ultimate joy has this future orientation. Uh, we, we, we get it modeled uh, in Christ, uh, in that our ultimate joy isn't connected to the things here, but it's actually looking ahead to the glory that is to come. Um, I love the, the phrase of, of one author. This is Eugene Peterson. He uses 
this phrase about joy, Christian joy. And he says, Christian joy borrows on the future. You might have heard me quote that before. I just love it. It, it, it connects with me. Does it connect with you? Christian joy borrows on the future. In other words, if you're just kind of looking around here, like our world here, there just isn't enough cash to sustain real joy and lasting joy. There's just not enough. It's, there's too much spiritual deprivation to really have it here. But, but here's the promise of the gospel, that because Jesus went through the cross uh, and now is on the other side, we have this heavenly inheritance. We have this heavenly treasure where all the, the things of this ugliness are fixed. And so part of where, where we get our joy now is, is we borrow on that future. Right, because it's guaranteed to us, it's promised to us, and it's almost like a like a bank account that we can we can borrow from, uh, just as Jesus Himself did, endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. So too, His people, as we look ahead to what is promised to us. So, the joy of Jesus, the joy of Jesus. Uh, what you see in joy is what Jesus really loves. We, we made that connection between emotion and, and our loves last week. Remember when we talked about anger, if you were here? Uh, we, said, we said anger shows us what we really love, uh, right? With anger, it's, it's our true loves as they're threatened, right? They're threatened, so we get angry. Joy is when our true loves are given or are promised, uh, and so when we look at, at joy in Jesus, what we're seeing is the things that his heart loves the most, right? Uh, he loves it the most when the lost are sought and found by his work. He loves uh, to, to delight in his Father's love and do his Father's will. Uh, he loves that glory that comes on the other side of the cross, uh, that there are his true loves. So when those things are given and promised, there's joy in, in him. Uh, and think about it. The fact that Jesus loves those things and finds and joy from those things, that's all very, very good news for us. Uh, because those are the very things that we need the most and can't do for ourselves. Right? Because we need a rescue. We're the, we're the lost ones. Uh, we're, the, we're the lost sheep. We're the lost coin. Uh, and we can't save ourselves. So we need a Savior uh, who, will, who will seek and find us. And look, we have a Savior who not only will do it, it's his deep delight to do it. It brings him joy to do it. That's good news. Um, uh, we, we need someone to rescue uh, and, and Jesus does that, does that very thing. Uh, it happens to be that the, that the Father's will that he delights to do is to go to the cross and die for our sins, bear our shame, bear our guilt. That's good news for us. That's exactly what, what we need. So all the things that are joy for Jesus mean rescue for us. Uh, it's, the, it's the very thing that's, that saves us, that rescues us. Uh, it's Christ, we could say, for us. Uh, but we've also seen God uh, also works in us. Christ also works in us. So he saves us from the guilt of our sin, uh, but he also then transforms us 
more and more. And 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 joy is a, a, a and the joy of Jesus is a picture of that uh, as well. Jesus not just forgiving us, that's part of it, but he's also going to transform us, and yes, transform us when it comes uh, to joy. Uh, who of us wouldn't want more joy in our lives? Okay, you want more joy, good. But how do you get there? That's the real trick, isn't it? Uh, how do you get there? Do you just do you just resolve to choose joy? Uh, okay, that might help a little, um, but that's not ultimately going to do it. Kind of a, a resolve of will. Um, do you get more joy by by just filling your closet or filling your life with things that 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 spark joy? That might help a little bit, but ultimately, no, that's not going to do it either. Uh, well. Here's, here's what scripture gives us. God will give us more joy as he transforms what we love. Right? As he transforms what we love. Uh, moving our hearts away from those destructive loves uh, or, or just loves that are, that are just settling. right? Like, like C.S. Lewis, Lewis's child who, who's just satisfied with the mud pies. Right? God gives us greater joy by changing us uh, and, and giving us love for greater things. That's how we get greater joy. Uh, we get greater loves. And Jesus is our, is our model. This is what he's going to do. He's going to give us a greater love for more eternal things. He's going to more and more, yes, give us a love for, for created things, to enjoy earthly blessings for, for what they are, gifts from the Father, that we that point us to Him, but also bigger things. You could keep going down the list. Jesus, uh, His work through the Holy Spirit is going to give you more and more a, a love and a delight in seeing those who are lost come to faith. Right? Whether it's you being saved or others around you being saved, it's going to more and more as Jesus changes you. That's going to be your love, and so it's going to give you greater joy. He's going to give you uh, a delight in the Father's love. Uh, and a delight in doing the Father's will. So, so Jesus can give you uh, that fullness of joy that he promises. And yes, more and more a joy in, in what is to come. Uh, more and more helping you to understand through Scripture that there is a glory to come which makes the suffering of this present world uh, seem like, well, passing away a shadow. Uh, and it's for that joy set before us uh, that God will fill us more and more. Right? He gives us greater joy because he gives us better loves all through his spirit, all because of Jesus, which is why the key to all of it is exactly what Hebrews says. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray again. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to know Jesus better, to use your word, to, uh, to, to delight in him and to rest in him and Lord, that we would be uh, saved by his work and transformed by it as well. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to love what you love more and more, uh, and in so doing, have that uh, joy that overflows. Uh, for we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.